0: means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from bitcoin to artificial intelligence 3d printing blockchain virtual reality and more
1: this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My um, guest today is Felipe Huicochea, uh, the founder of Crypto Monedas TV. Felipe, Felipe, how are you doing?
2: Doing great. Thank you. Very happy to be with you guys today. Yeah.
1: So tell listeners what is uh, Crypto Monedas. Sounds like a you know a, a Spanish network. Uh, tell me about it. What do you guys do?
2: Yeah, basically we are media company. We promote uh, blockchain technology. We educate people about uh, Bitcoin, the opportunity technology. And the main base is our YouTube channel, which is uh, very popular among uh, Spanish speaking communities here in the US and, and abroad. So uh, basically we're educating people on the opportunity, knowing that uh, people in Latin America really need these kind of tools to create and preserve their wealth.
1: The the Hispanic community is, uh, you know, I've lived in different parts of the United States. So like, you know, in the South, uh, you'll have a lot of people from Mexico. And, you know, in New York, where I'm from, you'll have more like Dominicans and Ecuadorians and, you know, people from different countries. So what's it like with um, your listener base? Do you see that um, depending on the country they're from, they respond differently or they know more about crypto or less? Or you know, what variation do you see?
2: Well, there's two specific cases that I that I would like to address. We have the case of Argentina and the case of Venezuela. Adoption is driven mostly by an immediate need and also by a recent memory. Uh, let's talk about Argentina first. In the mid 90s, there was a huge economic crisis. Most of uh, Argentinians lose all, all of their savings. The banks closed from overnight, they were shut down. The government imposed restrictions on withdrawals, and basically it was a collapse of the financial system, and that's very recent. So young, even young people nowadays remember that it was called the corralito, which is basically like a pen, like uh, the savings were seized by the government, and uh, that it's in a very recent memory, and people understand that they need this kind of control over their money, their assets. And uh, that's one of the primary drivers in Argentina. They, they are very engaged in developing the technology. The other case is uh, for political reasons. Recently, Venezuela, the situation is uh, in Venezuela. The situation is very dire and people are jumping into cryptocurrencies out of need. So we see cases in which uh, people are mining Bitcoin, then buying Amazon gift cards, ordering food smuggling that food across the border of uh, Colombia. And basically, uh, need is the primary driver in those two cases. The rest of Latin America, we have experienced over decades the debasement of our currency, loss of value, loss of wealth, and, and very questionable practices from the banking industry. So it's, uh, it's the need that is driving adoption. And of course, there's, there's huge interest from people to understand the technology, to take part of this, what uh, we think it's gonna be an incredible shift in the balance of power and wealth all across the world. And that's what we're trying to accomplish, just educate people and, put the message out there that there's an option that they don't have to live under the thumb of bankers and corrupt governments, that they can take control of their own wealth and uh, just uh, prevent the next generation to be another lost generation that is doomed to poverty, as we've seen all across Latin America.
1: You know, the different countries have different needs. You know, people in Venezuela have a different need than other places. So are you seeing a direct correlation? You know, people from Venezuela want to know more about mining.
2: In Venezuela, for example, the it's used as currency. Bitcoin, all uh, cryptocurrencies are used as currency. The preservation of of value is not like in top of their list. They're Mining Bitcoin and selling Bitcoin to get uh, the goods and basic necessities like uh, toilet paper, uh, prescriptions, Mm. food, diapers, stuff like that. That's what they are using cryptocurrencies for. That, for example, Mexico, it hasn't had like a very recent crisis of this magnitude, but uh, we all remember how over decades the value of the currency has been dropping. So, in places with a more stable ish financial system like Mexico, people are looking into cryptocurrency as a store of value and uh, creation of wealth mainly, not daily usage. You don't see these white transactions for everyday goods. You see most people in, uh, let's say, Mexico, probably Uruguay would be in a similar situation. Chile would be in that category as well, where people are uh, storing value, they're transferring assets to cryptocurrencies to preserve uh, their wealth and as opposed to the immediate need that we see like in places like Venezuela and other parts of Central America, El Salvador, Honduras that are in in serious economic trouble and people are using cryptocurrencies basically opt out of uh, government uh, controlled uh, currencies and prices
1: and stuff like that. Yeah, what insights are you getting from the countries that are using cryptocurrency for currency? What would it be like if Bitcoin became widely adopted in, a, you know, in the U.S. or other places? But so, what's it like in Venezuela? You know, how do they deal with, you know, when the price of Bitcoin rises or falls dramatically? What does that do to them? And what's it like? What insights are you getting from these countries?
2: Well, they are developing their own currencies. They they rely on Bitcoin because of acceptance and its. Uh, very profitable to mine uh in places like Venezuela uh energy is still somewhat cheap uh, compared to other places so mining is very profitable activity it's uh it's not legal to mine uh, apparently there have been uh very um uh, known uh cases of people getting arrested uh, for mining in cryptocurrencies there There's a lot of interest in uh, proof of stake protocols. Uh, There's a huge, uh, I've seen a surge of requests of, uh, okay, if we can't mine Bitcoin, if we can't have uh, proof of work uh, protocols, what other options are there? And they're gravitating to proof of stake as a mean to Hmm. generate the income they need. That's a a very interesting thing that I see particularly coming from uh, Venezuela, where people are inquiring about this. And there's this uh, gap in which if you're involved in the community, you see this debate about scaling, about uh, transaction speed, about cost of transactions. And uh, it's kind of funny that you always hear the, the, the famous coffee analogy. They want to buy coffee with Bitcoin, and this is a, a projection of the mindset that, uh, yeah, in first world countries, in here in the US, in 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 Europe, convenience is a big thing. You you want to be able to do what you already do, but do it with Bitcoin. That's that's uh, one of the huge drivers, and and. And for a lot of people, it's very appealing. But in a lot of places, they're not looking to to buy coffee. They're just looking to preserve wealth, to create wealth, to uh, be in control of their future. That's part of the certainty that uh, a protocol that we can calculate with eight-digit precision how many Bitcoins are going to be. 15, 20, 25, a hundred years from now. That's the that's the kind of certainty that uh, it's it's transforming people people's opportunities and and perspectives of their own future. So,
1: what any particular tokens that uh, people are looking at for proof of stake, do about Bitcoin transaction fees? I mean, what if he is who are four U.S. dollars? That may be a ton of money in Venezuela. How are you supposed to work around that?
2: Well, you have now uh, said with this activated. Uh, I think uh, uh, payment channels is going to be huge in 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 Latin America. You have a lot of uh, a lot of alternatives. I mean, people are transacting in Litecoin. They're using uh, 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 a couple of local uh, cryptocurrencies. So they they are reaching out to whatever is 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 uh, available and whatever they can they can do. For larger transactions, I've I've received mails emails from people in 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 various countries which are basically using bitcoin to transfer larger chunks of uh, of wealth and then other cryptocurrency for uh daily usage they are using dash dash is having huge huge penetration in in mexico in venezuela it's uh Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the uh, characteristics that make makes it a, a very useful currency for everyday uh, purchases, uh, the price has been uh, relatively stable. Transactions are cheap. You have the uh, option of privacy. So Dash is also having its influence, and it's it's reaching out to people in, in a lot of places in Latin America. The community in Venezuela, they had uh, a couple of events in the last uh, week or two, and, I mean, it was like huge, huge attendance. So Dash is one of the, the ones they're using a lot in in. Places like Venezuela, in Mexico, they uh, also have huge Dash communities that are growing rapidly and uh, mm-hmm. acceptance of Dash as a mean of payment is growing as well. So there's alternatives, and that's what I, I think drives people to this option. It's not only Bitcoin, although for some use cases, Bitcoin is going to be the, the main cryptocurrency, but there's a lot of other use cases that can be. Fulfilled by other projects that are being uh, developing, and other projects that are struggling or, or fighting to get um, uh, acceptance and and adoption uh, in 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 great numbers Hmm, very
1: interesting yeah it's it's pretty cool to see the differences amongst the countries and see what each of them are doing you know
2: yeah yeah and you see uh, I also have like a a very substantial subscriber base from Spain for example and the kind of questions that you get from people in Spain are completely different they are not um, so concerned about the immediate use but as a store of value because they they see that um, the eurozone is uh, struggling and the, the situation in Spain with unemployment and debt and the just basically the 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 loss of value of their their currency it's um, it's concerning and it's funny that there's there's a project uh, it's a cryptocurrency and they are trying to revive the peseta which is the uh, currency before uh they became part of the EU so mm-hmm. the peseta which is it was the currency in Spain up to 1998 I think mm. uh yeah, they're they're trying to revive that, and there's a lot of um, nostalgia for that uh, sovereignty and having their own currency and being able to be feeling in control. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating how uh, geography and local circumstances uh, are different for many people. But at the end, we have in our hands uh, a technology that has the potential to fulfill all those needs. Uh, there's very interesting developments in all areas, not only uh, financial services, but a transfer of information, uh, uh, voting systems, governance, uh, how companies are run, developed, funded, which is also another big part of uh, a roadblock that many small companies in Latin America face. The funding thing is extremely complicated in in most countries. not only from the legal standpoint, but the, the, the uh, availability of funding for a lot of startups. We've seen a, a huge increase in, in projects that are funding. And it's ironic that you think funding through cryptocurrencies, and we hear these astronomical numbers from ICOs, raising right. $100 million, $250 million and stuff like that. In reality, I'm seeing projects in Latin America that are getting funded with seven, eight, nine bitcoins $20,000, $25,000 to finish the development or the prototype or, or or stuff that are they're working and I mean that's a lot of money for some people who are developers who are trying to put out a project uh, $25,000 it's a lot of money and in many cases it's enough to put something out there that it's working so that's another thing that we're seeing a lot of uh, a big surge in in people who have ideas who have access to funding funding levels that are I mean in perspective it it, it sounds uh, kind of silly to talk about an ICO of twenty five thousand dollars and and they're doing it successfully which uh, which uh, it's it's very good news for the community and that's something that we we try to encourage and we are uh, giving a platform for people who are in that situation to. Get the word out to showcase what they're doing and get this uh, ball rolling in, in terms of development, in terms of funding, in terms of uh, participation and adoption
1: of the, the technology. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's that's crazy. You're right. 50 million in Europe or the U.S. is... Uh... Yeah, it's a lot, but uh, 50,000 in these countries, tremendous amount, and they can get so much done.
2: And I think, in in terms of speaking of ICOs and development, I think we have lost that perspective of the value of money. I mean, we hear these astronomical uh, uh, amounts that are being raised, and when you realize, I mean, like startups, uh, even, even five years ago, I mean, raising $20 million for a startup was like huge success. It was like a home run, you would see this kind of news in the financial media, like so-and-so raised $20 million in their first round, those valuations would go through the roof. And we're seeing that with very questionable projects that it's not, nothing else than a, a website and a white paper in the best uh, cases. There, you can raise $20 million with something like that in a matter of hours. And so we have lost that perspective of how, how, how much money we really need to make things happen. And, and uh, in, in most countries in Latin America, we're used to make the best with uh, what we have. $25,000 can go a way, way, a, a, a very long uh, way in, in, in good hands, of course, uh, in people, in, in yeah. the hands of people who know what they're doing, and they just need like this small push to make it happen. We have a uh,
1: are uh, so you, are uh, you, um, acting as a, are people asking you? To be a conduit matching up, you know, startups that need financing with people that have money, you know, and, uh... we have done that for a
2: couple of projects. It's only projects that I, I personally have put money into and that I would definitely support with my own money. Only in those cases, I have a private group of investors. We get together once a month and I present the projects that I think that are uh, worth uh, investing in and each investor Will decide uh, how much and and how they they fund the project if they do it at all. So yeah, we have we have a, a funding uh, mechanism and it's something I I don't promote much because I know that there's a huge need and and we cannot commit. I mean, just evaluating a project is a process of of weeks. I mean, you have to when you have just a, a white paper. I mean, that's just the beginning. You have to validate everything. You have to make sure that whoever is behind the project is really behind and that technology works and the solution is there that they're solving like a real world problem so just the evaluation of a project is going to take a, a couple of weeks so and since I'm I I don't want to just pass on information without being sure of what we're funding I I just limit to uh, probably three or four projects a month uh, right I'm I'm a software engineer by trade so basically I do the analysis from the uh, technology standpoint I, I I understand the technology I haven't developed myself anything uh, using uh, uh, any of these protocols, but I understand the technology and I, I, I've been working all of my professional career since uh, between us. And I'm sure that no one's going to remember this, but since 1994, I've been working in and around the internet. So I understand the technology and that's, that's one of our strengths that we were able to translate to our audience what things mean and what things do and how how they can benefit from it without having to understand all the in and outs of the of the technology which in when you think of of mass adoption that's the part that you don't want you don't have You don't want someone to have to go in depth or understand all the in and outs of how things work. You want people to be able to use a simple interface to interact with the uh, service, to send money, to receive money, to understand just the transactional aspect of it without having to understand uh, block times and and consensus and uh, validation and transactions and all the technology part, which uh, should be understood by those developing uh, the tools and interfaces and services. For users, the ideal is what you do with an email right now. You You don't have to understand how the routers are sending your email, you don't have to understand the the SMTP protocol, you don't have to understand any of that. You just open your browser and send an email and that's Mm -hmm. it. And the ideal for mass adoption is that we have tools like that where people are able just to use it. That's one of the reasons why I've been very optimistic about the future of Dash, because aside of all the criticism that they receive, they are mm-hmm. are in the right track in terms of adoption. They have this vision that people should be able to use stuff easily without having to understand all the technology behind it. So in in that uh, in terms of vision, I think Dash has a head start for mass adoption.
1: Interesting. Last couple of questions. Your viewership. How many viewers do you have, and any which countries are more represented than others? Well, you know, like what's the top few countries, and again, how many viewers do you you think you're getting?
2: Well, we have uh, close to 400,000 views uh, across the the channel which uh, we officially launched last year we have around 20 20,000 uh, subscribers and YouTube follow and, and Twitter followers now in in terms of geography the countries with the uh, Most drivers and and, and viewers are Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, Spain, here the the U.S. And yeah, those are like the the biggest, Um, Chile, Argentina, we have also viewers. And here, um, it's something funny with with the users here in the U.S. A lot of them are bilingual. They are perfectly able to communicate in, in both in English and Spanish. But when it comes to the technology aspect, it's, it's like double, double challenge to understand the language plus the technology. So they are much more comfortable resourcing to Spanish media when it comes to understanding a lot of the technology for everyday um, communication. They're perfectly capable. And that's one of the things that we're, we're providing just people who are, are bilingual and bilingual and can understand normal conversation, the technology part. It gets a little difficult uh, when you have to cross that double barrier of language plus the the, the technology itself. So that's that's a, a very interesting. And most of our audience are are professionals. The, uh, we have a lot of investors who who have been investing in other areas. So I would say that uh, my viewership is one of the most educated when it comes to the the technology and uh, and Bitcoin and all the crypto assets out there. Uh, we have been focusing in a lot of education. We, we uh, talked about why things matter and so people can understand better the the benefits of, of the technology.
1: All right. Well, very good. So what's the best way for listeners to uh, find out more about CryptoMonedas?
2: We're on on YouTube. Our channel is uh, crypto monedas tv. We have our website, CryptoMonedasTV.com. Dot com And we're also very active on Twitter and, uh, and Facebook. So if they just Google Monetas debate, they're, they're going to find us rather quickly.
1: I appreciate you coming on the podcast and a lot of really interesting stuff we covered. I didn't know most of this stuff, so it's uh, very eye-opening. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me.
0: The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018.